Good morning, Seabreeze. It's great to see all of you today. I think this is the nicest weather-wise day, so we're back to our marine layer, good temperatures, so we're glad you've joined us today. I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. We're glad you've joined us that way also. Today we're starting a new message series we're calling Next Move. The most important decision that you and I face every day gets around this term, and that is the question is, what is what's your next move? What's our next move? We, of course, cannot undo any previous move that we've made, and we can't make tomorrow's move or any future move until we arrive at that place in time. So it turns out the kind of life that we end up building over time advances one day at a time and one move at a time. And it advances on two tracks. The first track is a personal track. This answers the question, what's my next move? Everybody is kind of aware of the importance of that. What most people do not understand is it also advances on the second track, which is the collective track. That gets at the question, what is our next move? So the life that we build over time is shaped by what we do and then also shaped by who we do it with. So in this message series, we're going to be focusing and taking a look at what our next move is as a church and then what your next move is as an individual. Now, we've been planning our next move as a church for, well, it's been over two years now. Last fall, if you were with us, we kind of revealed the first iteration of our next move plan, and we asked for input on that, and your input was really helpful, and it shaped more details about what we're planning to do. So the plan, many of you know this, is to fill in center court here and build a kid's building over it. So on the chairs, when you came in, you should have received or seen this brochure, If you have not already read through it, don't read through it now. Take it home. Uh, Go ahead and read through it. But it's an image of of what this will look like when it's completed. The backside is a night image, which is pretty neat. So it kind of gives you an idea of what we are um, attempting to do, what our next move is. Now, when COVID hit back in March, I obviously assumed, well, we're going to have to at least push pause on this project. But God kept leading us to take the next small step and then the next small step. And now we're at the point where we're going to be raising the rest of the money needed for this project. The amount that we need to raise to accomplish this is $2.5 million. Total project cost is $3.8. We've been able to budget and set aside $1.3 million already. So we need to raise $2.5 million. As leaders of this church, we've decided that this is our next move together as a church. Now, in the weeks to come, particularly next week, I'm going to be explaining more about why we are doing this, and especially why we are doing this during the great uncertainty of COVID. But let me begin, first of all, by explaining how we are going about this. In the next four weeks, we are asking everyone who calls Seabreeze their church to pray about giving two gifts to this, gifts that will be above and beyond whatever their regular giving right now is to Seabreeze. The first gift is a one-time gift by the end of the year. The second is an amount of money that God is leading you to give over the next three years. Then on November 8, I'm asking everyone to let us know the total of those two gifts. So this is an amount over your regular giving to Seabreeze and over the next three years. In fact, at the bottom of your message outline in that little gray box is kind of a summary of what I just said in case you didn't track with all of us. This is what we're asking everyone who considers Seabreeze to be their church to pray about. Now, if you're new to Seabreeze, 
don't feel any pressure to give. You may be thinking, oh, I cannot believe I showed up at this time. This is for us who consider Seabreeze to be our home. You are our guests. And as guests, we don't expect for you to pay for the house. You don't invite someone over to your house and, and then put a little bowl at the, at the door and say, hey, if you could help us with the mortgage, that'd be great. You don't do that to your guests. We don't do that to our guests. So we're just excited that you're here. But I do encourage you not to check out, but just to watch and to listen carefully. This kind of thing does not happen that often in the life of a church. So actually, you're here at a pretty amazing time. And I think God is probably involved in the timing of your arrival as our guest. Also, I want to say something to those of you who have been hit hard financially by COVID. Actually, two things I want to say to those of you who are really struggling financially because of this year. First of all, we would like to know if you're really struggling financially so we can see if we can be of help in some way. Secondly, please do not feel any pressure to give to this. Part of our decision to move forward in this unusual year on this project is the indication that while some of us have been hit pretty hard financially by COVID, many of us are doing okay and are actually in the position to give to the future. But if you're in this position where you're really financially struggling because of this year, I would also encourage you, don't check out of this process. Don't feel any pressure to give, but don't check out. Join us every Sunday. Pray for us as we make our next move together as a church and join us with this, uh, in this move. There just still may be something that you can do, some gift that you can give. Maybe not what you'd hoped to give earlier, but something that you might be able to give. Now, the theme verses for this series are Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, and here's what they say. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This is the verse that talks about the fact that life advances one day at a time, one move at a time, one opportunity at a time. But it turns out there is not only just one moving part in a given day. This verse describes three moving parts. It describes the days themselves as moving, time is moving, and then God is moving, secondly, and then thirdly, we get a chance to move. So those are the three moving parts that this verse describes. It says that the days are evil. The idea is that the days are moving, but they're moving in a morally bad direction. The flow of time morally has been downward since the beginning when sin entered into the world. Now, sometimes it's really hard to detect this moral current because it's slow and, and we can maybe peacefully float along on the surface of it. But at other times, I think on years like this particularly, we can see the power of this current. and We can see people being dragged under by it. So the days are moving, but... The other thing that's moving towards us in the flow of time are these opportunities. And these opportunities are not just happenstances that float by. The idea is that God is sending these opportunities our way. He is the one behind the movement of the opportunities. These opportunities are kind of like life jackets or fins that help us advance upstream against the, the negative flow of time, the moral decline that naturally takes over all of us. And then the third movement is what we ourselves decide to do 
with the opportunities? Do we let them just move on past us, or do we, as it says, make the most? Do we move to make the most of these opportunities? Do we move to grab a hold of them or, or not? Now, the opportunities that God sends our way don't just grab us. We need to grab them. The Greek word that was used in the New Testament for this verse, for opportunity, the Greek word is kairos. It's spelled K-A-I-R-O-S, kairos. Now, the Greeks actually turned this word into one of their many gods. So kairos, this word, was the god of opportunity to the Greeks. Now, I mention this because the image they came up with of this god is pretty interesting. If we were inside, I would show you a picture and you'd be laughing right now. So go ahead and Google it later and you can see what this image looks like. But basically, it's, it's a man that has incredibly long hair on the front half of his head. So he's got hair that goes down to about here, these long locks that just kind of go all around and cover on the front of his head. But from the midpoint back, he's completely bald. It's kind of like an extreme reverse mullet of sorts. I mean, it's just bald on the back, long hair on the front. And the idea is this. If you wanted to grab a hold of Kairos, opportunity, you had to do it while he was coming at you. You had to grab a hold of those locks while it was in front of you because if you let Kairos slip past you and you went to grab him, there's just this cue ball on the back. You, you couldn't get a hold of anything. There's nothing to hold on to. Now, of course, there is no such thing as the god Kairos, but I think it's a, a great image of what it means when opportunity comes our way. We have to grab a hold of it as it's coming at us. Once it's passed, it's passed. We can't catch up to it. We can't grab a hold of it. It's gone. Nobody floats down the river of time without grabbing onto something in order to help them keep their head above water. This is one of the reasons we have a hard time grabbing hold of the opportunities, because we're already grabbing onto something to try to keep our head afloat. And in order to grab a hold of the opportunities that God is sending our way, that means we need to let go of something that we're holding on to, often something we're holding on to pretty tightly. And it turns out it's those letting go decisions in order to take advantage of the opportunity that really end up having a powerful shape on our life and on our future and the legacy we live. Now, the term in the Bible for letting go is, is giving itself. When you give something, it obviously means that you're letting it go. So those of us who are considering what we might give to this next move as a church, we're talking about giving money. But I wanted to step back beyond the dollars themselves and the project itself as we begin this process and, and talk about the kind of impact that you often don't see that, that giving makes on your life and on the future. There are two tremendous impacts that occur whenever we let go uh, particularly of financial resources, in order to take advantage of an opportunity that God is sending our way. The first thing that happens, this is the first point in your outline if you're following along, is giving is how God measures blessing. Giving is how God measures blessing. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, this is talking about giving, it will be measured to you. So when we give to God, it's called giving. When God gives to us, the term that's often used is blessing. God blesses us. And when it comes to blessing, God basically says, 
you pick out the size. You pick out the size of the measuring device. He says, I will use the same measuring device on you that you use on me. Why? Is this some kind of trick? No, see, when God decides to, to bless us, the question is not, how much do we want? What's the answer to that question? A lot. More. Please. That's not the real question, though. The real question is, how much of God's blessing can you handle? How much can I handle? The reason that's an important question is too much blessing and we will become arrogant, thinking that we did it ourselves, and we'll become self-sufficient, thinking we really don't need God anymore. And then it turns out the blessing of God will result in less faith faith and less personal growth, and that's not God's purpose for us. So God uses our giving to measure out his blessing because our giving is one of the clearest ways to measure the health, the condition of our faith and what we will end up doing with his future blessing. So if we are willing to let go of some of what we have right now, God knows, well, we can be trusted with more then. Not just finances, but every kind of blessing. Now, I need God to bless my marriage. I need God to bless my family. I really want God to bless this church and this, our impact in this community. And so, when God is looking to grab the measuring device, I would much prefer him to grab the five-gallon bucket, not the teaspoon size. And I have a chance to influence that decision. First, I have to demonstrate I have the faith to handle the five-bucket size. This is the way it, it works. First of all, you need to understand there, there are two realms of reality. Scripture is very clear on this. There's the visible reality, which we all know about, and then there's the invisible reality. In the visible realm, we operate in terms of the resources we have. We live where we live because of the limits of our resources. We do what we do because of the resources we have. But in the invisible realm, God operates largely not in terms of what we have, but in terms of what we give. Now, these two realms, they don't just operate separately. There's not the visible realm over here doing its own thing. God's over here doing his own thing. No, the, the visible realm, God's realm, actually impacts and controls and runs this realm. We have influence, but this invisible is over the visible realm. They're linked together. So when God decides to bless in the invisible realm, that does show up in the visible. But there's no formula saying exactly how that blessing is going to show up. That's because the link between these two realms is not a direct link. It's not like you give $1,000, God gives you $2,000. It's not a direct link. The link does go through God in whatever his plan is and whatever his purposes are. That's why, like I said, I can't say if you give $1,000 to this, God will bless you with more money. Now, I've seen that kind of thing happen, but there's no guarantee. Actually, I was talking with a couple just a few weeks ago, and we were talking about this thing coming up, and they, they told me what God had decided to lead them to do in response to the opportunity to buy this land about 16, 17 years ago. At that time, the only thing of real value that they had was their retirement account. And as they thought and prayed about it, much to their surprise, God seemed to be leading them to give their retirement account. I mean, the whole thing. And that's what they did. And they point 
they pointed, when I talked to them just a few weeks ago, they pointed back to that gift as the turning point in their finances, or, or at least the turning point in, in what God has blessed them with right now financially. Now, let me make really clear, I'm not saying that you should give your retirement account to this project. That's what God led them to do. And I'm not saying that God will do for you what he did for this couple. I mean, I have often wished that I could take the hand of God and direct his finger of blessing to the precise locations and situations that I could really want to apply his blessing. But I don't get to make that call. You don't get to make that call. There's things I'm praying about and have been praying about for years that I really long for God to change and bless. And it hasn't happened yet. So I would like to direct his finger of blessing, but I don't get to make that call. The only call I get to make is when God decides to bless, the size, the measurement of it. So I'm going to take that opportunity and make the most of it. The second impact that giving has is giving is how our heart moves. So it's how God measures his blessing, but it's also how our heart has changed, how it moves. In other words, giving is one of the key ways where our heart decides what is really, really, honestly, truly most important to us. Jesus said it this way in Luke 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, why did Jesus pick money as the, as the top competitor for the number one spot in our hearts? It's because this is the fight that has gone throughout history for us. And I think the reason these two vie for the top position in our heart, God and money, is because when you think about it, money makes pretty much all of the promises that God makes, and honestly, in the visible realm, appears to do a better job in the short term of coming good on its promises. Let me give you a list of promises God makes that money also makes. Promise number one, God says, I will meet all of your needs. What does money say? Money says, you know what, I can do one better. I will meet all of your needs, and if you get enough of me, I'll end up meeting most of your wants too. Promise number two, God says, I'll rescue you. Whenever you're in real trouble, I will be there for you. I will come through for you. I will rescue you. And money says, yeah, me too. I will, I will save you. And what money goes on to say is, unlike God, where you really don't know when he's going to save you or how he's going to save you, and he often tends to save you later than you'd like, for me, you just need to write a check and problem solved. I'll solve your problems. And you can direct when and how that occurs. Unlike God, you have to keep praying and waiting for him to save you. Promise number three, God says, I'll give you a future hope. Money says, oh, that's what I do best. The more of me that you have in the bank, the better you feel about the future. I mean, let's just be honest. If somehow another $100,000 was deposited in our bank on Monday, wouldn't this be a good week? I mean, wouldn't your outlook on the week be a little brighter? Mine would. That's what money does. It gives us a future hope. Promise number five or four. God says, you know, I made you and I love you. And that is the root 
of your value. Because I made you, because I love you, you are more valuable than you could ever imagine. Do not ever question how important you are. Do not ever question how valuable you are because I made you and I love you. Money says, well, that's all fine and good, but you can't see any of that. If you really want to feel valuable and you want people to think you're valuable, what you need is a lot of me. Because if you have a lot of me, you're going to feel better about yourself. And everyone around you is going to look at you and say, wow, you really are important. So while God may say that, you can't see that value, but money, well, you can see that. So as a result of this competing promises, what really honestly happens to us every single day in every heart is that money just kind of rises in importance like oxygen bubbles in the water. It just, it just floats up. It rises in importance in our hearts. I mean, you ask probably any of us in this gathering, what is more important, God or money? We know the right answer. Obviously, God's more important. But hear this. Our heart is not listening to our words. Our heart doesn't listen to our words. That's because our heart is moved by what we do, not by what we say. So this, who is your master question, is never answered in theory. It's never answered on a test. It's never answered verbally. It is actually tested whenever we find ourselves in a situation where we have to pick one over the other. And normal everyday life doesn't force us to pick one or the other because we actually need both. I mean, if you got a mortgage, you need money. If you got rent, you need money this month. And you need God. So we, we use both. We just can't do away with money. But then an opportunity like this comes along. And we actually have to kind of do some more thinking about this. We have to make some decisions. Now, the obvious question on the surface is, for all of us who consider this to be our home, what should I give to this? That's the obvious question. That's, that's the one I asked you earlier to consider. But like I said, I, I'm stepping back and taking a deeper look at this this morning. That actually is not the most important question. The most important question that my wife and I are dealing with, that we're all dealing with, is what will it take to tell my heart that God, and not money, is number one for me. Now, I don't know what that is for you. God knows what that is. I don't know. That's something that he will show to you if you really want to know. If you don't want to know, you probably won't find out. But if you really want to know, he'll reveal that to you. So this is not an opportunity to ignore to take lightly. In fact, I think this kind of opportunity only comes a few times in a lifetime. And the potential to shape our hearts is incredible in this. I mean, the kids building, yes, that's important. And that'll make an impact, I think, in this community long after some of us are gone. But the impact that it can make on your heart is the real value in this. So, how much of a gift is enough to move money from the number two, or to move money from the number one spot down to the number two spot? There's an assumption I'm making in this, and that is naturally for all of us, money's number one. That, that just happens over time as we use it. How do you move it to number two? The Bible tells us that there's two types of gifts that actually change the heart 
and make God number one. In the Bible, there are two categories of giving. The first is tithe, and the second is offering, tithes and offering. The word tithe simply means tenth. And what the tithe gets at, when we decide to give 10% of our income to God, what the tithe gets at is the number one question I mentioned. Remember what the number one, or promise rather, that I mentioned? God says, I'll meet all your needs. Money says, no, I'll meet all your needs. Well, which is more important? A tithe is a vote for God. It's a monthly vote for God. Here's the way it works. Every month, you pay your mortgage, you pay your rent, you buy your groceries, you make your car payment. And every time you do that, without really thinking about it, what's happening in your heart is you're, you're becoming more and more convinced, I really need money. And you're right. But what suddenly happens is you begin to think, I need money more than anything else. And then God comes along and says, no, actually, you need more, me more than you need money because my hand is on the spigot of those resources. I can open them up, I can shut them down. I'm the one you need more than, yes, you need money, but I'm the one that is more important than money. And our heart wrestles with this. And every month that we tithe, what we're saying is, you know what, this month, I'm going to go with God on this one. I'm going to decide God is more important. Now, I wish you could do that one month and your heart would be good with it. But then the next month comes around and you've got to decide all over again. You've got to vote again. Is, is, is God more important or money? So that, that's what the tithe gets at. It gets at that first promise. I will meet all your needs. See, the only reason a person gives 10% of their income to God is they're convinced that God and not money is number one when it comes to their daily needs. So if you're not tithing, don't, don't feel guilty, don't feel bad about that. Maybe you didn't know about this. But if you're not tithing, this might be a great opportunity for you to start and maybe make the tithe your over and above gift to this project. Now, the offering is the second category of giving. The offering is a gift beyond the tithe, and what it gets at is all of the other promises that both God and money make that I've talked about. All of the other promises beyond I'll meet your daily needs are all about the future. See, after our daily needs are met, we start looking to the future, don't we? It's just natural. It's fine. And most of what we dream about experiencing or accomplishing in the future has dollar signs attached to it. And that's the way it is. And if we give an offering above a tithe, it impinges on those dreams. It has an impact on those dreams and those plans. And so the question that we're all wrestling with is whether money or God is the key to our future, just like whether money or God is the key to our present. Now, the truth is that we need, we need both, but which one do we need more is the real question. Giving our offering tells our heart that God is, in fact, the most important factor to our future. So how much should you tithe? Well, that's, that's an easy answer. That's just a math question. 10%. You can do the math. But how much should you give beyond the tithe to something like this? There's absolutely no formula for the offering. I wish there was. It would make it easier, but there isn't. And I think the reason there isn't, because the process that it takes, the, the wrestling with our hearts, services all kinds of stuff. I mean, for my wife and I, as we've been wrestling with this, all kinds of stuff bubbles up in our hearts as we have conversations. What about this? And what about that? And, oh, no, if we do this, can we do that? And 
and all of those questions get at, so what's more important in our future? What God leads us to do or our plans? My wife and I decided a year ago how much we were going to give to this. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to think about it anymore, and I certainly didn't want to pray about it. And the reason is that I had this sneaking concern, sneaky suspicion, that if I prayed, the amount just might go up, and I didn't want it to go up. So in my mind, I'd made the decision, check, done. We're just waiting for the time to begin giving towards this. But this fall, again, we began praying and talking about, and as I feared, the number has changed. I don't know if it will for you, but it has for us. But I tell you, the process, the process has been so revealing and convicting for me. I mean, I, I'm your pastor, but let me just be honest. My heart loves money. It loves money. And this internal battle on this is so good for me and my wife. So don't sort change this. In my experience, the love of money is kind of like a zombie. You just can't kill it. I mean, I've had this thing buried so many times, and I turn around, and there it is, coming back up out of the grave and tracking me down again. It just keeps coming. And I think it'll keep coming until the day when I see Jesus face-to-face, and I'll realize, oh, yeah, money was a distant second. But until then, I'm going to wrestle with this. God doesn't obviously need our money to accomplish his work in this world, but it's part of his design. He decided to give a little bit to you, a little bit more to the next person, a lot more to somebody else. And in doing so, what he did is he installed a backdoor access point directly into our hearts. And the door is opened. And change is made whenever we freely decide to give some of of our money to something that has God's name on it. And the act of giving doesn't just change us. It also brings significant change into the world. And the greatest gift, we get to wrestle with what really is number one. And what that looks like, not just in theory, but in reality, in dollars. So our goal, as I said at the beginning, is to raise $2.5 million over three years. Now, I realize that sounds impossible, especially this year. And so about a month, well, about a month and a half ago, I decided to ask a handful of leaders and supporters at Seabreeze if they might consider praying about letting me know in advance what God is leading them to give so that I could let you know as we begin this. At this point, I've heard from 18, 18 families or individuals, about what God is leading them to give towards this $2.5 million goal. So the 18 of them together have pledged a total of $993,360 to this. $993,360. That's amazing to me. And this year? So what that means is we're 39% of the way there. And I share this with you because 
I am convinced if we all honestly listen to God and we pray and we give what he decides us to give, I believe that we're going to see God do something truly unprecedented. So if as you hear this inside your heart, you're getting kind of twisted, you're, yep, that's what I was too. That's okay. Pray around the twist. Untangle yourself. Get to the point where you're clear on what God wants you to give, and then in faith, give that. Next week, we're going to talk about how to make a decision in a global pandemic. Decision-making is always tough. This year has been straight bizarre in making decisions and plans. So we're going to talk about the principles out of God's work about how, how, how you, of God's word about how you make a decision. And we're going to talk about how we came to this decision. So I think it'll be helpful for you as you hear our story, but also helpful as you make your own decision. So I hope you can join us next week. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we know and we are convinced at a certain level that you really are more important than money. But money is very compelling, very powerful. So I pray as we wrestle with this personally that you would help us to be honest with you. Help us, first of all, to get past all of the barriers in our own hearts, all of the excuses, and help us just to get honest with you. Father, we don't want to look back on our life and realize that we did not give what you wanted us to give because we were afraid, because we had other concerns. So I just pray you'd, you'd lead us all and you'd speak to us clearly. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.